Good morning. Um, the reading this morning is uh, Galatians chapter 5, uh, verses 13 to 26. Uh, in the Bibles that are on the, the chairs here, that's on page 1004. Uh, so I'll just pray before, before we read. Heavenly Father, as we come to open your word now, um, please help us to um, put aside any distractions uh, and to listen to what you have to say to us and, and to open our hearts to it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit... Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. At least I know how to do that. Good morning and uh, welcome. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Shola and it's... Um, a joy to be here to be able to share God's word with you this morning, um, but it is a, a big responsibility um, to speak God's words, um, and um, I'm, I'm a no-frills preacher. I haven't been to Bible college. Um, you know, this last week, New Zealand got a no-frills budget, so you get a no-frills sermon from a no-frills preacher. But it is God's word. It is God's faithful, eternal word, which is true, which is powerful to transform lives. And it is my prayer that that's what will happen this morning um, for your joy, for our joy, that God speaks to us uh, clearly. So why don't you join me uh, as, we, as we bow our heads and ask God for help? Dear Father in heaven, uh, we, we thank you so much that... You are for us, and that you have loved us with an eternal, everlasting love, that you have redeemed and purchased us through the saving work of your Son, Jesus Christ. And now we have the privilege of opening your, your powerful, divine, eternal word, uh, that word which is as sharp as a sword, double-edged sword, which is like, like rock 
that breaks hard hearts, which is like water that washes and cleanses. And may, may be all those things to us today um, that we might be renewed, that we might be refreshed, and that our joy might be full for the glory and praise of your name. We ask it in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, so this past week, you know, some of you might have heard uh, Tim Keller died of pancreatic cancer. He battled with this cancer since 2020. Uh, for those who don't know Tim Keller, he, he was a, a follower of Jesus, uh, a man who preached and taught the word of, of God faithfully for many years and who touched many lives, myself included. Um, I've been challenged and shaped a lot by his preaching of God's word. Um, but then he died, and that is sad because he leaves behind family and friends across the world uh, who have been influenced by him in some way. In the same week here in Wellington, there was a fire that took the lives of several people who also left behind loved ones who are likely grieving. And it's quite possible that here today, this morning, there are people who are dealing with long-term or terminal illness or who have family and friends who are dealing with such. There might be people here this morning whose marriages feel like torture. There might be people who have lost jobs and can barely make ends meet. People who are lonely and frightened, misunderstood and anxious, maybe even depressed. All across the world, there are countless situations and circumstances which call for sorrow and over which it would be perverse for anyone to rejoice. And yet over and over again, we find in the Bible the invitation, no, not just an invitation, the command to rejoice. Always. Now, is this an impossible or even insensitive and cruel ask in the face of how terribly broken our world is? Well, when Paul wrote to the Philippians asking them to rejoice always, you might recall that he was in prison awaiting trial and possible execution. And things weren't exactly great for the Philippians. They were having troubles. In chapter 6 of his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul talks about his many troubles. And he says, always sorrowing, yet always rejoicing in verse 10. But even before Paul wrote his letters, Jesus, about to be arrested, tried and crucified, said these words to his disciples in John chapter 15, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. In chapter 16, verse 22 of the same book, he says to them, now is your time of grief, but I'll see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Now, these words of Paul and Jesus 
show us that not only is joy possible, but that Jesus wants us to have joy, a joy that is full, a joy that nothing and no one can take away. It's not that we refuse to acknowledge the brokenness in and around us. It's not that we maintain a lightheartedness that has no basis in reality. No, we have a deep-seated, unshakable sense of peace and gladness in every circumstance. A joy that comes from ultimate reality. So why have I come to Galatians to talk to you this morning about joy? Well, mainly because Galatians 5 speaks of joy as the fruit of the Spirit, something that's produced in and expressed in us, not something that we earn or acquire by our own efforts. You see, I believe such an understanding of joy will be truly liberating for many here today, myself included, because often we hear such a command and it comes to us like another rule to be kept, one that we will never really succeed at accomplishing And so we may try to find and pursue things that bring us joy. We may pursue experiences, work, music, art, meditation, exercise, wealth, fame. These things will give us some measure of joy. But they will only leave us wanting more. We will always end up needing another fix. We do or get stuff, feel a rush of joy, and then it's gone. And then we have to have another fix. But Galatians 5 shows us a better way. Indeed, the main idea, I think, in this passage is that trying to please God by keeping rules through human effort is is futile and can only end in misery and despair. But ever-increasing, unquenchable, unstoppable joy is fruit that is produced by the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us. He lives in those that he has made alive by the gospel, those who walk in step with him, those who keep in step with him, those who rely on him. You see, Galatians 5 doesn't teach legalism, just the mindless keeping of rules, working hard, to make God like us. No. Neither does it teach us license, just living carelessly and immorally, finding pleasure in things that don't last. No. Galatians 5 teaches us of a joy that comes from the gospel. A gospel that sets us free from the law, from the burden of trying and never, ever being able to meet God's righteous requirements. It sets us free from selfishness and self-obsession so that in the power of the Spirit, we experience the joy of serving God and others driven by love. In the chapters before Galatians 5, Paul's been showing, you know, the Galatians that trying to be right with God by following the Jewish traditions and the Old Testament law is, is not only foolish, but futile. He calls them foolish Galatians. Who's, who's deceived you, he said. You were saved by grace. Now you are trying to think that you can be right with God by following traditions 
and the requirements of the law. Uh, they were now going for Jesus plus rules. And Paul is at pains to remind them that this is foolish, that it would only lead them to lose Christ. He emphasizes that the only way to be made and to stay right with God is through the grace that they had received in Christ, through the gospel. We are those who have been made alive and set free from the power of the flesh by the life-giving spirit of Jesus who lives in us. So he opens chapter 5 with the words, Christ has truly set you free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. But, you know, many in, Galatians, in the Galatians church were thinking, well, you, you always talk about freedom. Don't you think it's going to lead people down the path of immorality, of, of going back to just careless, sinful living? And Paul's response to this in verse 13 to 15 of our passage, so I hope you have that passage open before you, is this, that, that liberty to love not the immorality of license or the self-righteous pride of legalism is God's purpose in setting us free from the law. That we are free to say no to the sinful desires of, flesh, of the fleshly nature and free to say yes to serving God and others in love. Not grudgingly or boastfully. So he says, you my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. But... But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. You see, the tendency is that when we think that we are made right with God by the things we do, what happens? Pride. I did it all. Look, I always pay my tithes. I give alms to the poor. I'm kind to my neighbors. Me. And perhaps the Galatians were feeling the same way, and Paul has to remind them, you are not saved to keep rules anymore. You're not trying to do anything. God saved you by Greece. He sets you free from those requirements. Now you can truly be generous. You can truly love one another. You're not just ticking boxes, counting your herbs and your deal, making sure that you're giving the right amount of tithe. No. You've been so loved by God. You've been so forgiven. Set free from the burden of sin. You don't have to say yes to sin anymore. Now you can say yes to Jesus. You can say yes to the Spirit. You can serve one another in love. What would that look like in our church? You know? That I don't turn up on Sunday feeling better than my brothers and sisters. That I turn up Humbly, knowing how much Jesus did to set me free. So that I can walk beside you as you struggle. 
so that we can rejoice with each other as we see God working and transforming us by His Spirit. The alternative is fighting, is judging, is devouring each other because we think we have done something to make ourselves good. That would be joyful, wouldn't it? A church that's serving each other in love and humility. And yet, there is a struggle, a real struggle that Paul does not gloss over. And that's our first sort of big point is that the flesh opposes this joy. And yet we are on the side that wins. So come with me to verses 16 um, of Galatians 5. It says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Because the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. They are opposed to each other, so that you are not able to do whatever you want. They have completely separate and opposite agendas. So while God has set us free, our fleshly nature wars with us. It's kind of just wanting to pull us down and pull us back into slavery. And the Spirit is pulling in the other direction to make us like Jesus. And so there is a real tension there, a real battle. Now, I don't know about you, but I became a Christian almost, I don't know, 20 years now. But every day I experience this battle. This constant tugging at my heart to go the way of the flesh, to go the way of self-reliance, to go the way of self-worship, of idolatry, of making things that God has created for me to enjoy and to give thanks to Him, for making them God instead. I feel that struggle, and I think you feel it too. It's not going to go away. But it is not going to win. Now Paul goes on in verses 19 to 21 to to kind of just show what happens when people give in to these desires. When people allow the flesh to dominate their lives, to rule their lives. When they hand over control to the flesh, he says the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, Jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Not exhaustive. But these are just some of the things that happen. I mean, we were reading Romans a few weeks ago, and we saw that when people refused to acknowledge and worship God, what happens? God gives them over 
to their futile imaginations, and they do all kinds of wickedness, very similar to what we see here. A life that is not surrendered to Jesus is a life that produces these kinds of things. Now, you look at this list, and you, know, you can pick out a few things there that kind of look like they can give some joy. You know? Having a few too many drinks can kind of temporarily take away the sorrow of life. You know? Getting your own way can feel good. Ambition. You know, winning. Factions, creating factions and our faction wins. That, that brings some measure of satisfaction. We beat them. You know those kinds of things? And so they give an illusion like you're enjoying your life. You're free. You're doing, you're doing you. You're following your own truth. But Paul warns, I warn you like I did before, that those who live like this, those who make a habit of living like this, have no part in the kingdom of God. That's a strong warning. But you know, clearly, this is, this is not the life of someone who's been washed by the blood of Jesus, in whom the Spirit of God lives this this is not us this is this is a life that's still under the burden of the law this is a life that's still trying to find its own way this is it's just not possible you're either with the spirit or you're with the flesh there's no middle ground And yet, this is not us. We are on the side that wins. Come back with me to verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Not may not. You will not. I don't know if you understand what it means to have the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living in you. Do you understand the power that we've got? You know, when Jesus was telling his disciples, I'm leaving, oh, they were sad. He says, but I'm sending you another helper. When he comes, he will lead you into all truth. Do you recognize what it means to be united with the God who made the universe? To have him live inside of you? Have him committed to your transformation. You can never fail. Ultimately, you win. Because, 
Because Christ lives. Because Christ won. Because Christ is not in the grave. That spirit that raised him up from the dead. That broke that tomb. And set him free. Lives in you. Verse 18 says, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Romans 7 verse 6 puts it this way, but now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Do you know what it feels like to be set free from captivity and slavery to the law? I, I, I don't know. I, I don't have a mortgage, but I know maybe, maybe, maybe there are people here who've got a huge mortgage. Imagine someone, I don't know, say it's, say it's I don't know, upwards of 800,000. Someone just comes to you and says, hey, you know what? Paid. The house is yours. How does that feel? Joy. It's nothing compared to being set free from the burden of trying to, to keep all the, the law. Something that we, we never can achieve anyways. Can we ever love God all the time with all our hearts and all our minds and all our souls? Can we always, do we always love our neighbors? Well, my wife will tell you I don't succeed loving my closest neighbor, which is her. But to be set free from those many requirements because of something that sits outside of ourselves. Because of something that Jesus has done for us. That's joy. That's real joy. Do you know that joy? Have you been set free from the burden of sin? You know, of having to just slavishly say yes to the flesh. I hesitate to share, but you know, before I became a Christian, I, I struggled. I did everything I could to be a good boy. But it was hard. I always came up short. And I was desperate. I tried all kinds of things like, you know, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. No, I always did. It's like a slave. Oh, but Jesus set me free. And I know, you know, there's probably people here who know that feeling of being set free. Now you don't just, you don't just say yes. You have the power in you by the Spirit to say, that's not me anymore. I belong to Jesus now. I have no obligations to my flesh to do what he wants me to do. No, I've been set free to live for Jesus, to love and serve God and my fellow brothers and sisters. Oh, the joy of being set free.
but we see that not only have we been set free, God's work isn't finished because he's put his spirit in us to make us into the image of his son, Jesus. And so our second point is that joy and lots more is the spirit's fruit in us that cannot be stopped or taken away. Come with me to verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with all its passions and desires. We see a sharp contrast between this and the works of the flesh. First of all, it is fruit, not works, not something we earn. It is the formation of the character of Christ in us. The fruit not only serves us, But even more, it serves others. Just as Christ didn't serve himself, but served all of us by dying on the cross. It's not self-gratification and immorality, but loving service. Look at all those beautiful things there. That's, that's That's who Jesus was as he walked gently with sinners, calling them into his kingdom. As he said to that woman by the well, <laughs> you know, he knew, he knew all her history. He knew her past. But he says, I can give you water that if you drink, you will never thirst again. What kindness. What gentleness. What patience. What forbearance. You know, the patience of God, which is the reason why we are not consumed the goodness of God shown to us in his son, Jesus Christ. The peace that we have from knowing that we stand before God no longer condemned, but adopted as sons, welcomed into his glorious kingdom. Love that comes from knowing that we have been so loved by God, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Self-control that comes from being tethered, hitched to the Spirit. Not by rule-keeping, but, but, you know, that submission to the Spirit of God who gives us new desires. We're becoming like Jesus, friends. That gives me joy. Does it give you joy? Now you might look at your life and think, well, I don't see all these things. The progress is kind of slow. I've been a Christian for 20 years. I'm still really irritable and angry and, you know. Well, if you know anything about fruit, you know that you plant a tree it doesn't start fruiting the next day. 
Food takes time. Um, to illustrate this point, I, I want to share a story. It's about a man called Charles Simeon. And I, and I heard this story when I was back in, uh, in Christchurch. And I, I heard, you know, our pastor there preach on this passage. And he was talking about Charles Simeon. Charles Simeon was a preacher in Cambridge in the UK. And, and he, you know, he, he trained up so many gospel ministers. You know, he was such a, you know, great preacher of the word. But by nature, he was, he was hot-tempered. He was quite opinionated vain and a bit haughty it's it said he had a great sense of his own self-importance and this harshness and and self-assertiveness often often showed itself even in the most spiritual company so one time he went to visit you know another sort of pastor friend henry venn and and his daughters after he'd left said to their father that man's got such a nasty attitude and the father said Come with me to the garden, girls. Now pick me one of those peaches. The girls said to their father, but, but it's hard and green and not ripe, not fit, fit to eat. Well, my dears, he said, it is green now and we must wait. But a little more sun And a few showers, and the peach will be ripe and sweet. So it is with Mr. Simeon. A little more sun, a little more showers, a little more trials, a little more tribulations, and God will work patience in our lives. And God will work sweetness in our lives. But we must wait. We must not despair. We must not give up. We must keep in step with the Spirit. That's our final point, brothers and sisters. Verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit... Let us keep in step with the Spirit. What, what happens when you plug your phone into the charging point? It charges. Even if you keep talking for hours and hours and, you know, YouTubing and whatever else you do. As long as it stays plugged in, it will remain charged. Friends, if we walk by the Spirit, because we've been made alive by the Spirit, if we continue to live by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, brothers and sisters, we will have joy. And all this other fruit of the Spirit will be ours, will be evident in our lives. No matter what's happening, no matter who's died No matter who's sick, no matter if we've lost our jobs, no matter if our marriage is breaking, no matter if our kids have broken our hearts, no matter, we will have joy. A joy that cannot be stopped. 
a joy that cannot be taken away. You know what? Because the Spirit of God is the one who does the work. Not you, not me. We can't do it. But He can. So will you walk with Him? Will you listen to Him? Will you trust in Him? I, I was thinking, how does the Spirit, what does He do to, to produce this fruit? How does He do it? Here's a few examples. You know, I think primarily He does it by applying the glorious truths of the gospel to our hearts. He reminds us how things are going to end, He reminds us where life is headed. So that even though we're always, always sorrowing in terms of things not going our way, we're always rejoicing. So here's a few things. I think first he reminds us of Jesus and all that Jesus has said so that our joy may be full. In John 14, which I referred to earlier, verse 25 and 26, Jesus says, All these I have spoken while still with you. When the Advocate comes, the Spirit whom I will send from the Father... The spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me and he will remind you of everything that I've said. That's how Jesus sustained the joy of his disciples. By telling them eternal truths about what God was doing, what God was going to do and what the future held. And the spirit does the same for us. In chapter 16, 22, 24, he said, Jesus says to his disciples, So with you now is, your time, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you've not asked anything in my name. But ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. The Spirit prays through us and for us and ask, helps us to ask God for things in the name of Jesus. And as we receive that, we find joy. Now when death's cold fingers come and take another of our lo loved ones and waves of grief wash over us, the Spirit grieves with us. But then he takes us to the empty tomb and reminds us he's no longer here. He's risen. And so too we your loved ones who died in him rise again. And that gives us joy. When we are lonely and frightened as life storm rage around us and we might scream in fear like the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. Do you not care if I perish? He wants to take us back to that same Sea of Galilee. Where Jesus calmly ordered the waves to shush. And they did. So that we might marvel like the disciples. Who is this? That even the winds and the waves submit to him. And when you and I are burdened with the guilt and the shame of our failure and our sin, over and over again, the Spirit turns our gaze to Calvary, to the cross where Jesus took upon himself 
the punishment that purchased our freedom and reminds us of the words that Jesus said on that cross. It is finished. Your guilt is finished. Your slavery is done. You're forgiven and free. And you are mine forevermore. That's how the Spirit gives us joy. By reminding us of everything that Jesus has said and done. Something that no one can change. As John Piper so eloquently puts it, he says, Joy is having the greatness and the grandeur of God over our heads like galaxies of hope. It is having the unfathomable, crucified and risen Christ embracing us in love with blood over his hands and face. And it is standing firmly on the thousand mile deep rock of God's word. It is as the Spirit helps us gain a full appreciation of these glorious truths that our joy is full. So friends, since we no longer are dead in our sins, since we have been made alive by the Spirit, let us continue to rely on Him completely. Let us trust Him. Let us listen as it reminds us of these wonderful truths. Let us allow him make real to us the reality that is our lives. That we are free. That we are being made into the image of Jesus. And that someday we will stand before him in his presence where there is fullness of joy. And so while we sorrow, while we mourn, while we have sleepless nights looking after new babies, let us continue to rejoice. Please pray with me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that we are no longer slaves to sin to the law thank you that we're alive that we're forgiven that we're loved and that you are committed to making us like yourself through the work of your spirit in us thank you because you are committed to our joy a joy that you promised that no one nothing will take away a joy that is unstoppable Thank you for this reassurance this morning. May our lives bring you glory always. Amen. Now we're going to stand and sing. And guess what? The song we're singing is titled Rejoice. Surprise. Now, I'm going to just share some of the words we're going to sing as a way of introduction. It says, one of the verses is, all our sickness, all our sorrows, Jesus carried up the hill. He's walked this path before us. He's walking with us still, turning tragedy to triumph, turning agony to praise. There is blessing in the battle. So take heart and stand amazed and rejoice. 
For when you cry to him, he hears your voice. He will wipe away your tears. Rejoice. In the midst of suffering, he will help you sing. Rejoice. Why don't we stand and rejoice? And apparently I get to, to stand here and sing as well. So, yay. <laughs> <laughs>